Well, again, good morning. Remind you, also, you can be praying for, for John Dunning. Every so often, he goes out to Blue Rapids, a town north of here. It's actually the only place in Kansas that a Major League Baseball game has ever been played, uh, like 100 years ago. But uh, anyway, he's preaching there. You can pray for, for him there. Um, so this summer, we've been working through the, the Psalms. We call them Summer Psalms, and I hope it's been refreshing for you. Uh, we've just got a few left. Uh, I'll, I'll be preaching on a Psalm 127 next week, and then the week after that, uh, John Dunning will be preaching on Psalm 86, um, which is a great psalm. And then we're going to be working on the core values and then beginning uh, the Gospel of Luke, which I'm really excited about. It'll be our first time in a gospel as far as preaching, which is hard to believe uh, this far into our church plant's life. Uh, but very excited to that. So uh, today, though, we're in Psalm 103. So grab a Bible, uh, phone, a tablet, scroll, whatever you got, and turn on over to Psalm 103. Uh, this wonderful psalm is a thanksgiving psalm. That's the category it would be in. It was written by King David. Uh, <clears throat> so <clears throat> we're going to read it, though, in, in four sections to keep each section kind of fresh in your mind as we get, get to it. And I ask that you follow along with your eyes uh, as, as I go ahead and read, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Father, when we forget your benefits, our hearts run to doubt, to fear and anxiety, to anger, to discouragement of all sorts. Lord, as we soak in Psalm 103 this morning, would you remind us of your goodness, your greatness, your steadfast love for your people? And would you set our hearts free to bless your holy name? Enlighten our minds this morning so that your word would pierce us to the marrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So bless the Lord. We've seen that phrase before. You, you sang in a few of the songs. You sing it often. We, uh, we've seen it in other psalms that we preached to this summer. Uh, bless the name of the Lord, right? Uh, you remember, though, uh, if you remember the last time we talked about it, to bless someone's name means the exact opposite thing that your southern friends mean when they say something like, oh, bless her heart. Right? You know that. You Southerners know this, because in the South, when you say that, it really translates to something along the line of, well, now, you are as dumb as a doorknob. That's what it means. But in Scripture, it doesn't mean anything like that. And in Scripture, in the Word of God, it's this expression of, of, of praise. And so from, if you're from the South, forget everything you know about this phrase and, and, and understand in Scripture, God means something very different by it. Uh, it's this awe-infused delight in God focused on the goodness of the Lord for you. That, that's the idea here. And, and so then, uh, listen again. Do, do you see what David's doing then, if you have that in mind, in these first two lines, when he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David is speaking to his own soul. 
not in some weird schizophrenic kind of way, but, but he's speaking to his own soul. And, and this we need to learn to do ourselves. It's what we might call preaching the gospel to ourselves, to yourself. You see, too, too often uh, we hear this, this cultural mantra. It's so, uh, it's everywhere. You can't avoid it. Just say, listen to your heart and everything will be okay. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. These are the kind of things, right, that, that we're told to do. And, and it sounds good. It really does. It looks great on a t-shirt. It, it's kind of this easy thing to say. Everyone accepts it. But if we look closer at that statement, it's not biblical. It's not godly advice in any way. In the scriptures, uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 uh, teaches this. The heart is deceitful above all things. Now, this, this does not mean that you have to fear your heart. It, it just means that you don't listen to your heart. That's not what's going to be the driving force of your life. And instead, you, you direct your heart to listen to God. You direct your heart to, to worship the Lord, to prioritize the Lord. That's what, what's, what's at, at happening right here. So we, we need to do what the psalmist here does. In fact, we, we, when we settle down here on a, a Sunday morning, you, you gather for corporate worship and you, you feel the stress of just getting here, whatever problems you had, just getting out the door uh, without screaming at everybody, whatever it might look like, right? Uh, or you get here and you think about the weight of the last week or, or the fears you have of the week that's ahead of you, the list of things you might need to do. And all those things begin to just pop in your head. That's, that's the moment that, that we need to just preach this to ourselves. Soul, bless the Lord today. Soul, bless the Lord. When, when you're waking tomorrow morning before the waves of life come crashing down, preach this to yourself. Soul, bless the Lord today. Bless His holy name today. You know, remind yourself to delight in God and His goodness and to praise Him for that. In verse Two here, David models the best way for us to remember the Lord, to encourage our hearts, to, to preach to our hearts, to, to, to praise the Lord. And he says to simply to remember the benefits of the Lord. You know what? You understand what benefits are, right? Um, not in the way that college students use the phrase sometimes. Um, benefits are, are what you receive because you belong to something. We, we in our family, we have uh, Amazon Prime um, we, we do it mostly for the two-day free shipping, which is just amazing. Uh, Laura, my, my wife, is, is absolutely addicted to this. Uh, the, the, the mailman teases her that it shows up so often that, that he you know, accuses her of having an addiction to Amazon Prime, so much so that I logged in one day and changed our official shipping address to uh, Laura Prime Addict Huff, and so now all the packages come with, with that on them. Uh, the mailman enjoys that. Um, <laughs> But I mention Amazon Prime because every so often, all I really care about is the free shipping, but every so often they'll send me this email, and the email will say, here are your Amazon Prime benefits. Uh, and, and they want to re remind me, the reason they send this is they want to remind me uh, of all these benefits. Uh, and, and they list them off. You know, these benefits include you get a bunch of movies, and you get uh, a bunch of TV shows, and a bunch of music. You can, you can check out a free book every month, and you can actually have a free book from these, this selection of a few options. Or you, you can store all your photos here. And this is not an Amazon Prime uh, uh, advertisement here, in case you're misunderstanding this. Uh, but I want you to understand that the reason they remind me of these is they want me to understand, hey, the, all these things come with your Amazon Prime. It's way better than you might even think it is. And, and they want me to, to enjoy the fact of, that, that I'm part of this. 
That's the idea of benefits. They're what we gain by being part of something. But uh, and as you know, Psalm 103 goes on to show here, though, that the benefits that we have uh, of belonging to the Lord, of being part of his covenant people are far superior to those of Amazon Prime. Right. I mean, they can deliver in two days. God can deliver instantly if he chooses uh, no, but truly, they are superior to that, you know. Uh, and, and take a look, because David's going to list off these benefits here. He lists five of them in this, in this portion uh, of what it means for you, because you're in God's covenant, this too. And, and, and so this is what he says. The first benefit is the greatest of all benefits. You, you see it there in verse 3. God forgives all your iniquities. Iniquities, that's just a big biblical word for, for sin. He forgives your sin. And, and we're going to see more of this on this in the second section. But for now, just re- remember to thank God for your homes and your cars, to, to thank him for your job and for your health. And, uh, you know, but by far the greatest benefit you have from the Lord and, and, and that God gives us in the gospel is the forgiveness of our sin. Because that opens us up to this relationship with the Lord that we could not have uh, apart from his doing so. The second benefit is that God heals your diseases. I know you see that at first and you think, well, not all diseases are healed, right? There's, there's something missing here. You've you got to understand, he, he's not saying God heals every disease you have right now, but, but rather if you are healed from a disease, from a sickness, from an injury, physical, mental, emotional, if you're healed, you, you can be sure that it is God who has done it. It was God who healed you. Just, just like Jesus in his, his uh, earthly public ministry, you know, he, he could have just healed everyone in Israel if he wanted, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't heal everyone in Israel. But, but every person who was healed was healed by Jesus. It's not just a random occurrence. It's worth noting that, that healing in the scriptures also sometimes uh, right, refers to physical sickness, like we tend to think of it. But it also at other times is, is this metaphor in, in the scriptures <clears throat> for restoring someone's spiritual life. See, even true Christians may go through times where they're, in a sense, spiritually sick. They've wandered from the Lord, or, or they find that, that apathy invades like an infection into them, or, or, or the love of sin begins to grow like a, a tumor, an unwanted tumor. I mean, think about your, your life, you know. Think about your own life. Do, do you need to be spiritually healed to be spiritually re- renewed? Then pray. Ask the Lord to satisfy you in this way. And then, and then take the prescription of, of His Word. You know, consume it like it's good medicine because it is good medicine. The third benefit he lists here is that God redeems my life from the pit. The, the pit he is speaking of is a six-foot pit. Uh, he's talking about death. If you know David's story at all, you, you know that often in his life, David has actually brought him from the very edge of death where all certainty seems to be that he's going to die, and yet the Lord uh, restores him. When, when it talks about this, he's preserving life both spiritually and, and physically here. The fourth benefit of being in the covenant seen here in verse 4 is that he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Because God loves you, he gives you mercy. Mercy means that God forgives you even though it's in his power, it's in his rights to punish you severely. In other words, you deserve it, but God withholds that punishment from you. Uh, The final benefit of Psalm 103 is that God satisfies you with good. 
And this results, it says, right, in, in your youth being renewed like an eagle. That's, that's a cultural statement. The eagle was a symbol in their culture of, of being youthful and strong once again. It's not one in ours in, this, in the same way, you know. Uh, it's the one we've seen, though, right, in the famous verse, Isaiah 40, 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The idea is that they're like youthfulness in this regards. You know, you, you kind of wonder, what would our culture say, since we don't use eagles that way? Uh, the best I could think of was, was maybe something along the lines of, God satisfies us with good so that you feel like teenagers again. Some of you older people are thinking, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> there is an energy, there is a refreshment that, that comes from walking intimately with the Lord. And we've got to understand that the, the renewal here is not always uh, physically, but this inner renewal. Paul in, is talking about the, the same thing in 2 Corinthians 4.16 when, when he says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. That's the physical. Our, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's the spiritual, feeling strong in the Lord, renewed. And so then in this second section, if you, you move forward, verses 6 to 12, uh, before we read them even, I, I want you to notice, just perusing over it, that uh, the pronouns change from the singular in the first section, which were you and your. They, they change to the plural terms, such as us and our. Uh, David is highlighting that the benefits are not just for him, but for all of God's people. The people that are here referred to as the oppressed, that's God's people. Uh, David doesn't forget he's, he's part of this larger covenant community. And so the psalm even expands to include that. Follow along as I read uh, from verses 6 uh, to, the, to the end of that section here. I'm read it here. Um, the Lord works righteous and ju- righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This passage is really quite remarkable here. Uh, it's paraphrasing in one port's Exodus, Exodus 34, verse 6. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, that's, that's when Moses asked God, can I see your face? And, and God uh, essentially says, no, you can't. And, and there's good reason for that, because if you, if you see, if he were to see God's face, he, he could not live. And so instead, God puts him in the cleft of a rock, just this crack in the side of a mountain pop, and then covers him with his hand as he passes by. And as he passes by, uh, the, the Lord makes this proclamation. Listen to it, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. He's going to give us an information about the Lord here. He says, the, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping a steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. The passage is remarkable because how in the world does does David quote Moses, who is saying here that God will by no means clear the guilty. And at the same time, in verse 10 of our psalm today, uh, 
says that God does not deal with us according to our sins. There's, this, there's only one way that those two things can actually make any sense and be true. The, the only way that those two things make any sense is when we look forward to the cross. You see, because at the, the cross, we see how far God would go to properly punish sin, properly do so, while at the same time not punishing you and I whose faith is in Christ. You see, Jesus stands in our place and Jesus takes our punishment for us. That's, that's essentially what the gospel is, right? The, the sin is punished, but the sinner is spared. We see here in verse 8 then that God's slow to anger. Uh, the Hebrew here is actually really funny. Um, it it's literally says that God is long in the nose. Or long in the nostrils. And, and, and it sounds insane in that regard, but it's an idiom at the time. It, it means something else. It's based on the idea that when, when someone's angry, their, their nostrils flare. That's the idea here. And to be long in the, in the nose then means exactly what we see here in the English, just in a, a less interesting looking way. Uh, it's telling us about God's character, that he's slow to get angry. He, he's patient instead of being quick-tempered. I think... For, for some Christians, it might surprise us that God can be angry at all. See, there's this, this unbiblical view of God that says, because God is love, He is therefore incapable of being angry. As though somehow that would contradict who He really is if He ever showed any anger. And God makes clear as He's revealing Himself in Scripture that He can indeed be angry. And our, our sin, our rebellion is good reason for him to be so. See, what's amazing here in this passage, though, is, is that God will not be angry forever. That's the comfort we see here in, in verse 9, where, where it says he, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. And, and he adds, which we've already noted right here, right? That, that God's love for his covenant people is, is put on display at, at the cross of Christ. And yet long before that moment, long, long before then, here in Psalm 103, God tells us of the sort of love that he has for those who fear him, those who are his covenant people. And in, in verse 11, you can look at it there and see this. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Have you ever played that game with a, a child and, you know, that you know, uh, where, where, where you say, I, I love you so much, right? And maybe they stretch out their hands and, and that's how much I love you. And, and then it begins to an es escalate, right? I, uh, I love you to the moon. And then there's a the response. She responds, right? I love you to the moon and back. And it goes back and forth, and eventually you're saying, you know what, I love you to the planet Pluto. And she says, God, Dad, Pluto's not a planet anymore. <laughs> it's a wonderful game, but you know this game, right? It just escalates, and it escalates. Verse 11 here in Psalm 103, this is God's entry into that children's game of how much I love you. And we lose so bad when we hear this. God says to those who are in his covenant, and those who have placed their faith in Christ, he says, I love you as high as the heavens are above the earth. Astrologers today continue to, to learn that the heavens are bigger and bigger and bigger than we've ever imagined. 
They, they, they in fact have this term, right? The observable universe, meaning we can't see the end of it, but it's not the end of it. It's just as far as we can possibly observe with all of our, all of our technology. And according to the most recent uh, uh, knowledge that they have, that the universe is nearly 47 billion light years in every direction. 47 billion light years. You see, if you could travel as fast as light, think about this. You, you flick the switch to turn the light, the speed it gets to your eye, right? It's boom. Uh, if you could follow, go that fast, which is actually uh, 36,373 miles per hour. You can imagine the ticket on that. Um, if you could travel that fast, uh, as fast as light, it would take you 47 billion years to get to the furthest point that we can currently observe in our, in our world, in the universe. That's insane. And that's God's entry into the I love you this much game. I love you more than 47 billion light years away. And we're still like, I love you this much. That's the love of God for his people, for you. God proves it further, right? In verse 12 here, when, when we learn as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. Can you measure the east from the west? Of course not. These are intentionally infinite terms. Intentionally so. That's how far removed our sin is from us in the gospel. And you know, that has some really practical implications because that means that we should stop holding on to guilt for our sin. We're really bad at that as, as Christians, as God's people sometimes. You know, you, you, you might imagine if you felt the stress because, oh, I don't know, you put up a million dollars on a credit card that you owe, right? That's, that's bad. But if someone comes and pays that off for you, really pays it off for you, and wants nothing in return, it should remove that stress. You shouldn't keep waking up in the morning and think, oh, I owe a million dollars. You know, that stress should be replaced with gratitude. To keep feeling like you're in debt after that would just be foolish. Fail to honor whoever stepped up to actually pay it for you because it's really gone. It's not there. That's the same is true here, right? For our, our, our guilt. Stop walling or what's the word where pigs laying it. Stop obsessing over our guilt. Constantly think about it and learn to be grateful for the love of God for you in the gospel. Our third portion of Psalm 103, then, is verses 13 through 19 here. Uh, the Hebrew genius, I'm sure he has a better name, scholar, or something like that, but uh, Derek Kidner re- refers to this section so beautifully. He says that this is uh, fading life, eternal love. Beautiful. L- listen to it. It'll make sense as I read it, starting in verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. For as, man, for as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place, it knows, knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember, and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God's compared to a, a father here. 
Don't, don't get worked up, right? But not everyone has perfect fathers. In fact, no one has perfect fathers. Um, this doesn't mean that, that God learns how to be a father by watching human fathers and thinking, oh, the opposite's rather true. God is the model father for us. And, and, and those of us who, who are fathers really should look at the Lord as an example on, on how to be a good and godly father for our children. First thing we see here is that God sees our sins. He knows everything. Even the hidden sins of our hearts are absolutely known to God. And that doesn't change the way that he loves his children. He's compassionate to us. Here God is only compared to a father, right? As scripture unfolds, as redemption of, the history of redemption unfolds, we, what we see that God in the, in the gospel actually becomes our father. He's not just like a father anymore. He is our father. He, he adopts us into his family so that we are actually his children. And in verses 14 and 15, we're, we're reminded that, that God has made us from dust and that God remembers that, right? And, and that to dust, our bodies will return. We're, we're reminded of just how short life is. I've been shocked by how often the Psalms, that's a major point, just reminding God's people, your life is short. And yet you see that word but there in verse 17. That's one of those uh, change of directions, contrast words. And, and here it's, it's establishing this great contrast between our short lives and the eternal love of God for his people. Listen to it. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. The, the passage goes on to speak of God's righteousness to his children's children evil, even. That's that, that covenant language, right? I, I have a people, not just an individual that I'm, I'm having this relationship with. You've you got to keep in mind then that, that God loves his people first, and, and then they love him in return. It was true then, it's true today. It was true with Israel, it's true with Christians today. If we look at verse 8, you see one way that we, we show our love to God is by obedience to his commands. And understand the the sequence here. It's it's not to earn God's love, not to keep God's love, not to gain forgiveness, but our our obedience is an overflow of our love for God. If that seems odd to you, try to remember that obedience is ultimately about trust. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve in the garden, they disobeyed God's command. When? When they stopped trusting the command was good for them when they believed what someone else said and started to trust them instead of God. See, when we trust that, uh, when we trust that what anyone is asking us to do really is good for us, we willingly and joyfully do it. It's even more true when we're talking about the Lord. Our, our desire for and our pursuit of obedience reflects our love and our trust in God. No one's saying perfection here, Right? But it reflects the way we're trusting the Lord. And in verse 19, then, we, we see again the sovereignty of God. I, I'd been a, a Christian for about four years uh, in my teenage years before I, I first really saw the sovereignty uh, of God in Scripture. It took a while to really even believe it was there. And, and yet after seeing it, I found that I, I couldn't believe how often it is in Scripture. As we've been going through the Psalms, we're seeing it over and over again, right? It's, it, it was like for me at the time, it was reading the Bible was like, uh, reading it again for the first time. Wow, I can't believe this. I can't believe that. Wow, it says that. God is sovereign and his kingdom rules over all other kingdoms. 
That's the idea there at the end of that portion. So, okay, we've we progressed from the personal verses of one through five, right? The my verses. And then the corporate verses of six through 19, the our verses. And now we come to what are called the all verses, 20 through 22. And by all, it means not, not just God's people, but all of creation is praising the Lord in this regard. Listen to us as I read this, starting in verse 20. Uh, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So he begins to calling out all of creation beyond what we even know. He's calling out angels. He's calling out other spiritual beings called host here, right? Calling them out to, to bless and sing praises to the Lord. And then, and then he says, all his works, all the places of dominions, that's, that's the creation. Which is a weird idea to us, right? It's, it's putting this praises in something that's not even uh, living like a creature. And yet this is what God is telling us. You, you ever think about it, though, the way that creation just blesses the name of the Lord? The way, the way it magnifies the greatness of God. You, you think about the Grand Canyon, if you've ever been there. Or, or mountaintops. Even, even locally, you think about the, the sun rising over the cons of prairie on an early, early morning. You, you think about the massive creativity in animals. I'm shocked constantly about, about all the variety of animals that God has created. You think about the, the oil paint looking sunsets and the, the canopy of stars on a dark night. All of creation blesses the name of the Lord. That's the call here at the end. And so then uh, there's a British pastor by the name of Roy Clements. Uh, he, he said that the Psalms often call us to, to one important question as the people of God. It's the, it's the main question that he says comes through it. And, and this is the question. He says... Is there any real praise in our hearts? That's a a personal question, right? I don't know if you'd answer somebody else honestly, but you can answer yourself that question honestly. Is there any real praise in in my heart? Because it's easy to attend church just out of habit. It's easy to mumble some disengaged prayer with, with an amen at the end without really speaking to God. It's easy to listen to a sermon without connecting it to our lives or even care if it does. It's just easy to be lukewarm in this culture today. In fact, it is so common in the church today that we might not even notice it because it's still on par in some regards. And I'll say that if that's where you are, I don't say this to, to condemn you. It's okay that you're there right now. That's, that's not the point here. It's, it's not okay if, if you're okay staying there. Does that make sense? It's not okay to remain there. If that's honestly your, your assessment of where you are, then, then this psalm is a wonderful prescription for you. In the same way that it began, it comes to this end here with that same prescription as David is preaching to himself saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's these bookends, right? Speak. Honestly, I mean this. Speak to your own soul. Seek to stir up your heart to an appropriate emotional response to the the benefits of of God's amazing love for you. I want to end. It's a little weird because I want to end with a prayer and then we'll pray. 
So it's a little redundant in that regard. But I want to end with a prayer that Tim Keller wrote in response to Psalm 103, and and then we'll close with a proper prayer. Uh, Keller writes, Lord, when I am not right with you, I feel alone in the world. But when I praise you the most, I can hear your joy in the birds in the morning and the rain on the water. Lord, I want to be part of this music. I want to sing my part, which both adds to and derives beauty from the whole. Let's pray. O Lord, as our creator, you could be a tyrant if you so desired. But you are not. You are wonderful. You're amazing. Lord, may our hearts continue to see that truth even as we go from here today, as we return to the daily grind, as we return to our problems, as we go back into a fallen world. Help us to remember all of your benefits and to remember your greatness and your love for us and the way that you have freed us from our sin, that we might love you and praise you. Lord, may our souls indeed bless your holy name. Amen.